Um, so sometimes without meaning to, we've used phrases that are hurtful and derogatory towards persons such as, you know, phrases like blind is a bad or I'm obsessive compulsive or I feel so bipolar. Sometimes we use these phrases just trying to express something we're feeling and don't realize that um, it, it's, it has unintended consequences behind them. So our language has become more rapidly nuanced and, and talking about these matters, sometimes it can feel like we don't know the right thing to say. Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work and renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Trip Hawthorne, Cindy Folden-Lore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Well, welcome to a very special CBF podcast conversation. Uh, each week, we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work and renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale. I get the honor of hosting CBF's podcast, but just like our weekly podcast, no one is there to hear my voice. They're here to hear the brilliant people I get to sit down and interview, and today is no exception to that rule. Uh, We have Christy Edwards. Christy is a board-certified pediatric hospital chaplain living in Liberty, Missouri. Uh, and if you're one of those odd ducks that think it's spelled Missouri, uh, that's where she's from, too. So, uh, Christy, thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks, Andy. So over the next, um, over the next little bit, uh, we're going to be discussing a very important conversation. Um, and, but we have to recognize that we've got an hour to talk about this. Uh, and it's a particular thing that 
we could spend an entire conference talking about. And so that's a, one way of saying that we're apologetic that we're not going to be able to cover everything around this particular topic. Um, but we're going to try our best to provide some healthy dialogue. Um, and in a little bit, we'll have an opportunity for, for y'all, if you have questions or if, if any of our folks are joining online, to submit some questions for, to add for our conversation. Um, but we're going to try to approach this with the highest of sensitivity and honor those most affected by this conversation. Um, many churches are striving to have full inclusivity. Um, however, we want to consider if members and ministry staff are prepared to minister to uh, and with the neurodiverse and those of varied abilities um, and, and advocating for, for their rights. And I think one of the most foundational understandings of why we are doing this workshop is due to our personal connection um, with how the church ministers to individuals and families. Um, so Chrissy, wh why did you agree to lead this workshop and why does this conversation matter so much to you? Well, first of all, I'm really glad that it matters to you, that it matters to you enough to want to host a conversation like this. Um, that says a lot to me and to those of you who are here. Um, it just means so much to know that this is something people want to talk about and learn more about. Um, for me, this has both a professional and a personal impact. Um, as a pediatric hospital chaplain, I've been in the rooms with families who have children who are on the spectrum or children who have different abilities. And on more than one occasion, I've been with them and they've shared with me, we really don't have any support. And personally, that isn't my personal experience because I'm part of an incredible church and community, um, but it really taps at something that's missing um, for families to not feel they have any support. Um, so, so from a professional pediatric chaplain position, this conversation really matters to me in that way. And then personally, I'm a mother and I have a 13-year-old son who has autism and ADHD. And so um, from a personal, this hits really close to home. How has your personal experience led led you to a place of, of ad advocating for the local church to uh, equip itself to minister in with uh, inclusivity for, for persons of all abilities? I don't know how many years ago it was, but um, one night my son, we were getting ready for bed, and he looked at me and he said, Mommy, will I ever be a normal boy? And when you hear your child ask a question like that, will I ever be normal? Um, the reaction is, who gets to define what normal is? And who gets to define who's welcome at the table? Um, so to hear my son ask that, for him to already realize that he was outside, he was on the fringes, um, that he isn't part of that core normal group. Um, I think that that's one of the, the moments that I can point to of saying this is, this is important. We've got we've to have these conversations. We all know words matter. Um, funny story, a couple years ago, French President Emmanuel Macron was at this dignitary you know, thing in Australia and meeting with the country's prime minister and the President Macron began uh, by addressing the crowd, uh, 
thanking Minister Trumbull, and I just wanted to thank him and his delicious wife for, for their warm <laughs> welcome. Well, what, what it was is the French word delicious, delici delicio, can also be translated delightful. And, uh, you know, so what we're learning is words matter. <laughs> and so over, over the last couple of decades, advocates have attempted to create and define appropriate words for inclusivity of all people, especially uh, those who are neurodiverse and persons of all abilities. Um, and there's many antiquated terms that were once widely used by most people now that are recognized as derogatory and, and offensive. Um, so Christy, in your experience, how have words have, have had the capacity to, to harm and empower? I think we could spend so much time just talking about this one question. So I know I'm not going to be able to cover everything, and I see a lot of nods um, in the room. I think um, one of the first things I want to address is that if you have um, families in your congregation that are on the spectrum or have a child on the spectrum, if you have friends, coworkers, the best thing you can do is ask them what they prefer, what they what is right for them because different people have different answers right just if i if i ask you all well, what does it mean to be a baptist or a christian you're going to have each a different answer and so um personally i refer to people on the spectrum as people who have autism but there are a lot of adults who prefer to be called autistic people and so i think asking the person what they want is really important um, I think, you know, looking back, there's so many times I've used words that I wish I hadn't used. And so not to get stuck in a shame spiral of, of feeling guilty, but to learn and to do better next time. Um, in the chaplain world, we have a phrase, action, reflection, action. So we'll do something, we'll reflect on it, and then we'll do a different action next time. Um, and so I think with language, that's important too, because we've all said things and continue to use words that maybe aren't the most helpful, um, but to, to do better going forward. Um, I also know that kind of the language that we have available to us right now are words like atypical, disability, nonverbal, and so sit with those words for a minute. What do those words point to? They point to the lack of something instead of focusing on a different strength. Instead, we focus on back, back to that normal, right? That normal thing. Well, most of us can do this, so it must be a lack of something if you can't do that. Um, I really don't like that language, and, and sometimes it's hard to come up with alternatives, but I think that's part of the work, um, is to come up with that kind of alternative. I know at the end we're going to point out some resources for, for those that are interested in um, really kind of uh, acceptable words, or how do we talk about these things in a, in a respectful and, and honoring way, um, so we won't take the time to go through, through each of those now. Um, th this is a, such a, a deep and profound topic, however, we want to specifically focus on um, equity and inclusivity of the local church for persons of all abilities and neurodiverse individuals. And I wish we had time to cover the workplace and community and, and so much more. So how does the church measure its capacity for inclusivity for the neurodiverse individuals and persons of all abilities? I think a lot of this goes back to mindset of the church. 
Um, I think a lot of us as Christian people and as churches, sometimes we take on this savior type mentality. And so we can go in to support these families and feel like we're going to save them, right? I see some nodding. That, that we're going to help save them from this thing that they're in. And I think that the church is going to have to make a shift in their mindset, in our mindset, um, to coming around to not what can I do to help you, um, which can be very patronizing, but this is a relationship. And so what can I learn from you? Um, people with different abilities have so much to teach us. I like to think about um, an image that I keep in my head pretty often is I like to think about what Jesus must have been like as a young boy. And I think of the other kids kind of running around, playing, playing with sticks in the dirt, doing a tag game. And in my mind, I see Jesus on the side. And so always thinking, I keep in my mind that Jesus was different. He wasn't in that normal group. He wasn't a normal boy. And so what does that mean for the church? What can we learn from the people who tend to be on the fringes, the margins of our society? In some ways, it seems like maybe they bear more of the image of God than some of us who think we're more normal. You know, and so I think as a, you know, as a person, as a Christian, as a church member, to encounter people who are neurodiverse, who have different abilities, if I can look at them and think, you have a piece of the image of God that I will never have. That's powerful to me. So. You know, I wonder, um, as we kind of self-evaluate our congregations, uh, in your experience, what are, what are some of the, the common missed opportunities for hospitality and adversely moments of unintended discrimination from congregational leaders and, and volunteers? I think back to the, the hospitality piece, I think is again back to asking um, open-ended questions to people and families. How can we support you? How can we support your family? Um, what helps your child feel comfortable here? Um, you know, asking them, and, he, and listening, hearing what they want and what they need, I think is the best way. There's so many different examples I could give you, but that's not gonna be super helpful because the spectrum is giant and there's so many different types of people and different types of scenarios. And so I think learning how to show empathy, how to show kindness, resisting that ability to fix, resisting that ability to give advice. Um, I think in my context, I've had people try to, it's always out of good intentions too, I wanna point that out. These are good people who have good intentions. No one's trying to hurt you. No one's trying to hurt me, um, but words have power. And so um, talking with people and and then wanting to, to fix things for me. Um, talking with a good friend at church after something really um, painful with my son and sharing it with her and her looking at me, again, out of such a kind place, because she's such a kind person, but her looking at me and saying, 
well, I work with kids kind of like your son all day, and at least your son can talk. So that's a, an example of she's trying to fix the situation. She's trying to cheer me up. Um, but as you might imagine, it didn't have any of those effects and even added guilt onto the feelings I already had because then I felt guilty that maybe I wasn't grateful enough. Um, so I think being compassionate, being present, asking open-ended questions, validating feelings, you will come into a lot of emotion when you start working with, with people and families. Um, When a parent, I'm going to speak as a parent perspective right now. When a parent is with their child and that child receives a diagnosis, for me, I can both hold that my child is whole and wonderful and loved. And at the same time, I grieve knowing that he won't be, that he will struggle to be as accepted and welcomed and given the same opportunities if he didn't have that diagnosis. And so to recognize that there can be grief, there can be fear. Um, another big part of the role of the church in all of this for me is as a parent, as a mother, I get nervous, and I think this is a common thing with parents. Who's gonna help take care of my son after his parents, after we're gone? You know, and I think, I hope that there will be a church around who will pick him up for church if he can't drive and who will celebrate his birthday and you know the church just there's so much potential for the church to be this incredible support um, yeah. well so one of the practical things we want to kind of uh, provide as part of this conversation today is what are some things that your congregation can begin to think about and do now um, and one of those things is rethinking the way that we that we talk and view the nerdverse and, and persons of all abilities. Um, so sometimes without meaning to, we've used phrases that are hurtful and derogatory towards persons such as, you know, phrases like blind is a bad, or I'm obsessive compulsive, or I feel so bipolar. Sometimes we use these phrases just trying to express something we're feeling and don't realize that um, it, it's, it has unintended consequences behind them. So our language has become more rapidly nuanced in, in talking about these matters. Sometimes it can feel like we don't know the right thing to say. Um, so why, why is the best approach, since we maybe don't know what to say, is to ask individuals what language they would like to use or to be described as? Why is that the best approach? Because yeah. they're the person that knows. I can't tell you how you want to be referred to. I really, it's much more honoring and validating to you as a person, as a human being, if I ask you, and then I hear what you say, and I honor what you've chosen. And so, so that, is, that is very important to ask families, to ask individuals um, what their preference is. And I've started paying more and more attention to language and have noticed, um, how often it is so embedded in us and embedded in our culture to mock people that have different abilities to the point of where it's kind of toned down now where it feels a little more um, kind of under underlying 
but where we can say things like, well, he's special. You know, I mean, I know I've said that in, in, my, in my past. I know I've said that. I won't say it again, you know, and I pay a lot of attention to it now, but where does that come from? That comes from special ed, you know. Well, I've really been on the struggle bus today. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that phrase because the struggle bus is tied to, you know, a bus that takes children who learn in a different way to school. Um, you know, well, she's a little different. That's another one that I hear, you know, pretty often just in conversation again with great, kind people who I don't think realize even the nuance of the language that they're using and what that refers to. Um, and I, I find that it's more with, I don't hear a whole lot of adults talking about children like that, but maybe you and I would be talking about our peers that way. And so that, that too teaches me the importance of teaching all of our children you know, the value of language and how important that is because when my son and all the other beloved people who are different become adults, I want their peers to talk to them and about them in a way that's honoring. Yeah, it's not just about how we appropriately talk um, uh, about a person in their personhood, but also the way that we talk about their abilities. Um, again, often without meaning to, people can be really condescending to the situation of, of others. So for example, we, you might hear someone say, this person suffers from, or this person is afflicted with, mm -hmm. this person is stricken with, or this person is wheelchair bound, or this person is physically limited. Um, so how do we, uh, clergy and congregational leaders, educate our churches to understand the difference between a patronizing way mm -hmm. versus an honoring way of talking to and about those who are neurodiverse and persons of all abilities? I think this is something that takes a lot of time and a lot of practice and, and really requires a lot of grace to ourselves and to each other because a lot of these phrases are so embedded in us. It's not just going to be a quick fix where you don't say them anymore or all of a sudden you know how to, to talk to people who are different than you or about people who are different. Um, and so I think a lot of it is, is that practice, um, that intentionality, um, asking forgiveness when you realize, you know, I realized the other day I was talking to you and I said this phrase and I really wish I hadn't said that. I'm learning, you know, um, to be humble about it. You know, if a family comes to you and says, this really bothered us. You know, it's easy for us as people to get defensive, right, when someone challenges what we say. And so to catch that and, and turn it back and say, you know, I'm sorry, I never thought about that. Can you teach me? I think a big part of this is teaching our congregations how to be learners. Um, a lot of this is new. And so we have to learn so that we can, can do better and be welcoming and show honor and respect. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. 
CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. In turn, being mindful of, of how we uh, talk about people um, uh, is a form of loving our, our neighbor. And often people will refer to people as, quote, normal or healthy or able body. Instead, um, you know, we consider using non-disabled or people without um, visible disabilities. Um, such terms are, are a bit more accurate because we often cannot tell whether someone has a disability um, just by their physical appearance. And so on the other side note, we need to rethink why we need to describe people in the first place. Um, why does mentioning someone's disability matter for the conversation? Why would you need to say, you know, Frank, who is autistic, would like, you know, a Big Mac and fries? Mm -hmm. It's just Frank. <laughs> um, and so reframing why we feel like we need to give descriptors um, about individuals is an important part uh, of the conversation. Um, we've all seen the movies and we've read the stories um, in our communities and schools and church being inspired by the fortitude of, of someone who is facing challenges. But it is important to recognize that not every person with um, disabilities wants their lives to be public inspiration for, for other people. They're not objects of, of inspiration. Uh, Stella Young, who is a comedian, um, a disability advocate, and editor for ABC's Ramp Up website, did this amazing TED Talk that you can um, see. As it came from 2014, and she described the concept, this concept as inspiration porn. And she said, isn't this uh, admiration just thinly veiled pity? This inspiration is tantamount to greeting a disabled person with words, if I had your body. I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. How, how incredibly courageous of you to, to bring out uh, this before our public eye. She also goes on to say, we are more disabled by society um, that we live in than by our own bodies. Um, so instead of focusing on the horror stories of how churches have unknowingly or maybe unintentionally made disabilities an object of inspiration, talk to us about how 
the ways the church have honored and respected the individual rights of neurodiverse individuals and persons of all abilities? That's a big question. <laughs> I do, I have seen that TED Talk, and I just love what she says um, about that. There's been different memes that circulate all the time on Facebook, you know, even to the point of um, special ed teachers deserve all the praise in all the world and all the land. They're absolutely amazing. And so that kind of thing, too, of, yeah, you know, they are great, but is my kid that difficult? Are children who need extra help or learn a different way? Is it, does it require a hero? Um, and so in the church, there are so many horror stories. So I, th I think like the church that I'm a part of is amazing. And I think part of the reason it's amazing is because they're so accepting, they're so loving. Um, and it's with, with my son, it's just part of who Jackson is. Mm. And so even when Jackson moved from the children's ministry to the youth group. We have a youth minister who is outstanding with all types of people, loves all types of people, celebrates the differences. And so to see him kind of pave the way and talk to the youth group and just explain to teach, to educate what autism is, I think that's a big part of it too is education. We, maybe we're expecting people to know what autism is, but we actually need to sit down and, and teach them and tell them brains work different ways, and this is a different way of a brain working. And it isn't a disability, it's a different ability. Um, people, there are some people who have autism who have memories and abilities to focus in on things and this ability to see the world through a different lens that doesn't mean that they are unable. It means that they're differently abled and some of their abilities are amazing. Um, and so for the church to be able to focus in on some of those things and celebrate those things, to teach those things, to talk about it in a way where we can lift that up. Um. So as you think back um, on your journey with, with your church, um, you know, what were some of those first steps that you took them on to help them to become more inclusive? Well, we moved into our church when, when my son was four months old. So they actually um, walked beside me, beside us, in the midst of diagnosis and learning and realizing and kind of all these stages of... For me personally, there was grief involved with that, fear, uncertainty. Um, so I received a lot of support. Um, there were definitely some times when I didn't feel as supported, but mostly I've felt so supported. And I think it's because people did ask questions and continued to always include my son to ask, you know, the children's, our children's pastor would ask, does he need anything extra? Is there anything that we can do for this program, you know, that will make Jackson feel more comfortable? You know, is there anything different that you want us to do? Um, 
you know, that means a lot as a parent that someone would ask you and care enough to know um, what they can do to support you and, and to help your child have the best experience, um, including, you know, a big thing is a lot of times children who are neurodiverse or who are on the fringes, they're not as included with their peers. And so they're not always invited to the birthday party um, or the play date. And so to, if there's a way to build a core in your church that knows, that's, knows that and will include that family and that child, that speaks volumes of love. You know, for many congregations, they've gone through the process of um, child safety, you know, regulations and policies. You know, we do background checks in each person. There's never allowed to be a single adult in a room with children by themselves. Uh, we do this with youth. Uh, many of our congregations have gone through safety and security policies to keep their campuses safe on Sunday mornings. Um, you know, so what do you think uh, uh, prevents congregations from creating for lack of a better term, policies and procedures um, for inclusivity of, of, of all families. I don't know that, that policies and procedures are any more needed for people who have different abilities as they are for those who are more, who don't have those different abilities. Um, I don't know if, they, I don't know if that's, yeah, I guess what comes to mind for me is, um, you know, policies and procedures is such a rigid term, right? It makes you think it's like calculated and set apart. But I mean, you know, does our does our congregation have a philosophy of the language we're willing to use, mm -hmm. or how we come alongside families and their needs, and do we have a process to ask them what they need for our congregation? Um, you know, w you know, maybe maybe more of a conversation piece, which is, what are some of those best practices? Um, that congregations can uh, equip themselves with in order to make that, again, for lack of better terms, mm -hmm. policies and procedures, but more creating a healthier culture of inclusivity. I think this is where the education starts. I think this is where it's so important. You can't do this if you don't begin education. And so if you're a church and you want to really jump into this, you know, books, podcasts, websites, having conversations with people who have autism, families who have, you know, children who have autism, um, really starting to get into the education and learning, and then maybe start developing more of a guideline of, of how your church can go about this, um, what your church can do, how to create this welcoming environment. So if there's one thing we moderates and progressives are really good at mm -hmm. is telling people how they've gotten it wrong. <laughs> you know, we are really good at telling people why they're not theologically in the mm -hmm. place they should be or, um, you know, why this is wrong and why they need to take a stronger stance against these things. So I wonder um, in a second, we'll transition to kind of a Q&A with our folks here and our folks online, um, which is, you know, maybe can you share from your experience what's been the most life giving aspect of this journey that you took not only with your family, um, but also with your, your church? Well, I would say one thing that pops into my mind is, um, so my son hasn't had many birthday parties um, since he's gotten older. They're just really, um, he hasn't expressed a whole lot of interest and there's just not a whole lot of people who 
he would invite, I don't think. Um, he does recognize that he's not invited to other birthday parties. Um, but during the pandemic, I don't know, I think probably all of you have seen some of these online. There were these birthday party parades, right? Where you could set up a time and shirt, you know, cars would put balloons on their cars and drive by and honk and wave. And so we set up one of these for Jackson and I reached out to my church and invited all of them and you have never seen a longer birthday party parade. So to see him say, oh my goodness, there's so many people and the headlights just kept coming. And to have him walk inside and have all these presents and him say, look at all these presents, you know, like that is really a testament to the love that the church has for Jackson because they've known him his whole life. Um, and it also feels like a testament of love to the rest of the rest of us, you know, his parents and his siblings, um, to be so seen and so loved, so cared for. So that that is one story that just pops into my mind um, of something to really celebrate. Um, again, people are so flexible, so conscientious of how to adjust activities. Um, you know, that middle school retreat. Um, you know, there's some tweaks maybe that we can make to make this a smoother transition um, for Jackson. Um, you know, youth group is, we've tried to get him to get involved in different things through the years and have had to like drag him out the door to get him to go to things. But youth group, he is ready to go every Sunday. He loves it. He's, and I think part of the reason he loves it is because he is actually a part of the group. And that's the testament of church. So you're here um, because you, you care um, and because you might be involved in a ministry that needs to grow and to be developed. Um, so I wonder if we first start with if any of you have a story you'd like to contribute to this conversation about inclusivity. So we had a man in a wheelchair, and we had a small church so that anywhere that he would sit would be sort of, you know, in, you know, like in the aisle, so to speak. Um, I mean, there were still ways to get by, but, you know, it's, you're not in, you don't have a sense of being within, in the pew. And um, this great man, um, other man in our congregation he's like well we're, we're just gonna saw the pew in half <laughs> and that's what they did and literally we had we you, we made space you know and it, I think it's kind of a great visual of like what are ways that we need to carve mm -hmm. into our spaces and that that say welcome he actually said he passed by our church and he saw a wheelchair ramp and he had tears in his eyes he said I knew I was welcome there um, for um, my own son that is differently abled um, you know I think having people like Christy said that you feel safe with that you can go and talk to the children's minister for example and say you know when they move from like in the church that we're at when they advance from kindergarten to first grade 
they get moved into this huge, like we're all there, there's music and it's loud from, for like first through fifth grade. And, you know, it's like going to Chuck E. Cheese or something. I mean, it's, it, it's so overstimulating and a lot of um, these folks have sensory issues. And um, so to have conversation around, you know, is there, is, again, is there a space and a place for um, our children who this, over, well, very loud environment is not conducive for their learning and growing? So is there a space for him? And I think just these kind of conversations are just important for us to be asking and not assuming that everybody loves loud and everybody loves all the, the bright lights and or whatever people are offering in their, for their children. But those are just two examples that come to mind. I love that you share that, Julie. And my hope is that if churches hear that kind of story, that then they will know that they could come to you and offer things like, would your son benefit from noise-canceling headphones? We have those here for you. Would your son like a weighted blanket during the sermon? We can offer that for him. We have a sensory room. Our church has a sensory room for VBS. Does he need a quiet space in VBS to take a break? You know, is there an adult helper who needs that quiet space in VBS to take a break? You know, th those kinds of things, but we have to ask the questions. You asked, Andy, you asked the question, and she, Julie shared, and that's how we were able to know that. And so I think this even just right here is an example of the importance of asking the families, how can we support you? What, does you? what do you need? What does your child need? And then we can meet those needs. Yeah. So I pastored University Baptist Church for four years in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, um, you know, the congregation, we were having conversations about our facilities. And, um, you know, well-intended at the time, they wanted to put an elevator on the second floor of the education building, and they decided at the time they would save the money. At that time, it would have cost them $8,000 to put the elevator in, okay? Now it would cost over $100,000 to get an elevator put in, and, you know, feasibly, most congregations can't afford just, you know, pony up that money, and, and, and so we began to have a conversation about how our spaces were not being inclusive, and uh, we were able to see not only with the children's ministry, but with the adult ministry, and the youth ministry, people pivoting where they gathered in their spaces in order to be inclusive for, for, for people who um, uh, maybe were not able to, to go up the stairs. Um, and so those are some of the simple conversations congregation can have. Again, you have a problem. We really can't afford to pay $100,000 for it for an elevator, um, but we really care deeply about where people gather and making sure people feel safe um, where they are. What, what questions do you have um, as we, we continue to talk about this for com comes to congregational life, uh, for clergy, for, for congregational leaders? Um, I have a question related to the, the story you just told. I think when it comes to disability, um, there's a lot of fear in, in the world of churches that don't understand or don't have that experience or don't know people that have those experiences. Um, and so, even just on the on like like churches just assume like oh no we need to raise a million dollars to like they jump straight to the elevator right or straight to uh, we gotta build a whole wing of our building or, or do all this stuff. Um, what are what are some of the small 
I guess, uh, I had this really well worded in my head before I started talking. But, <laughs> um, what are some of those things that are keeping churches from do taking those really small steps? I think a big part of it, like you said, is fear and um, being uncomfortable. We are really, are, we are kind of a, a culture we're not comfortable with things that are different, with people who are different, right? We gravitate, birds of a feather flock together and all of that stuff isn't necessarily not true. And so I think churches get uncomfortable because they don't know what to say, they don't know how to fix it. Um, what if this, what if I had, so I had a pastor reach out to me, this has been a couple of years ago, and say, I don't know what to do. We have this family that's coming to our church. They have an adult son who has autism. And in the middle of the worship service, sometimes he makes loud noises. It's making some of our other people in our congregation uncomfortable. They don't like it. What do I do? Well, what does he do? Right? I think, I mean, I don't know exactly what he did, but I think this is another sign and another symbol of the education and what are your values? What are going to be your priorities? You know, do you want to have a service that's the same for every person and everyone looks the same and everyone seems the same and we're just going to keep on in our same comfortable place? Or are we going to expand our image of God and our love of God and start including people who are different, which means we're going to have to make some alterations. Maybe we're going to need to get used to the fact that Kyle sometimes makes noise. Is that part of worship? And it's okay also if that makes you uncomfortable. This is new for you to honor that person's feeling too as they learn um, and as they adjust to something that, that's different and new. Um, but I think, I think it's going to be those kinds of conversations and that kind of effort and intentionality that's going to help churches kind of move further into this. But I like that question and that idea of, you know, a lot of churches can't or won't jump towards the $1 million renovation, but there's so much space between noise-canceling headphones and a million-dollar renovation. There's so many things that we can do, and I think that there's so many people in our churches who want to do them. We just don't always know where to start. And so, again, I would point back to the place to start is talking to your families, asking them, what do you need? We're here for you. Teach us. Show us. We care about you. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo that. I, I think it's a couple parts. You know, one, the struggle of the church is we want to be all things to all people. And um, so there's a, a reactive response that can be taken, but there's also a proactive response. A reactive response is exactly as you just said, which is we recognize um, our inability to do things right now, but we want to do things right. Um, help us understand mm -hmm. your family's needs. Um, and, and respond accordingly, but also the proactive piece, which is some resources that we'll provide at the end, which is start that work now. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes congregations maybe aren't experiencing this or they think they don't have someone in their congregation who feels uh, excluded. Uh, you probably do. Um, it's just our lack of awareness. Mm -hmm. But if you can proactively begin to, to resource, um, um, to talk with people, to, to begin to examine 
again, facility space is one thing, mm -hmm. um, but it, not taking on a case by case, case by case basis, but being able to recognize, let go back to that policies and procedure piece, and mm -hmm. I still haven't come up with a better terminology, what I'm trying <laughs> to say, but you know what I'm trying to say, yeah. it's our approach, our methodology mm -hmm. that we are going to, to do this and to create a, a comprehensive way in which your congregation knows at every single level from, from infancy all the way to, um, to, to death, mm -hmm. for lack of better terms, yeah of how, how we approach these types of conversations. Uh, so one particular person I, I would point out to you uh, is Latanya Penny, who's here this week. Uh, she's the pastor of Belonging Fellowship in North Carolina, and she's also the founder of, of Mary's Grace. It's an inclusive um, advocacy group for persons with, with disabilities and their families. Um, and she is working with congregations to help them um, become aware, to, to, to see those things, and, and how they can respond accordingly, but also how to be proactive and how to create an inclusive environment for, for all people. I think another um, side note, another thing that churches can do, especially for older teenagers, young adults, what would it be like for your church to have an intern who happens to have autism? Um, there are, there's lots of research that's showing that people who have autism are having a really difficult time getting jobs. And so how can churches you know, help these young adults or teens begin to learn these job skills, right? Churches could be a great place for that. How can you incorporate your older teenagers into helping with VBS, with helping with Disciple Now, with helping with your fall festival, you know, with the Christmas whatever, all the Christmas things, how can you incorporate and give ownership and value and honor their work um, to people who might not have those opportunities in other places? That's another thing. Yeah, I mean, you've raised an incredible point, which is, um, you know, it's not, again, we talked about, we can't cover all right. kinds of situations, except we're talking about the church, but when a church can become uh, more inclusive and more hospitable, they have the ability, they have the knowledge um, they have the practice to then to be able to turn to their community. Um, story of a church in um, Smithfield, North Carolina, CBF Church, that um, recognized uh, their community's uh, discrimination against persons of different abilities and worked and were advocating and helping raise funds to create a, a playground for children of different abilities in their communities. A remarkable example of they first recognized it within themselves and then they put into practice a love of neighbor in a very unique way that, that many people probably wouldn't thought of before. Yeah, that's very related to the question that I had actually is, you know, just in the past year or so I've learned um, how avidly the church fought to be and religious education fought to be excluded from the Americans with Disabilities Act whenever that was first created. And so thinking about um, you know, how many churches across the nation have started to really intentionally and publicly repent of the history of racism within the church. What do you think it looks like moving forward to really intentionally and publicly repent of the history of ableism within our churches and you know, across the nation and even the local church that, you know, like the church you were just talking about? I think that it, a big part of it starts with this. It starts with realizing that we've done something wrong, that we are doing something wrong, because I think a lot of people maybe aren't quite there yet, you know. Um, and so kind of highlighting some of the things that 
we're not doing a good job at. We're really missing the mark. We're missing the mark with our language, with the opportunities that we're not providing, with the way we talk about people. So really, I think drawing attention to what we need to, to work through, what we have done wrong um, as, a ch as the church in hopes that once we actually talk, talk through it and repent of that, we can move forward into a healthier, more inclusive, more holistic image of God kind of way. It's, it's a fascinating question you've asked. Um, and I think it is, it, it's going to take time of self-awareness, I think, for a lot of congregations, um, mainly because racism is such a such a, a tangible thing that a lot of people, whether they recognize it with themselves or not, they, it's seen. We have historical moments we can point to these things. It's something that's often written about. But I think the challenge with uh, ableism is a lot of people, it, they lack self-awareness and being able to talk about that. But there's a wonderful thing is there's so many gospel scriptures that we can examine um, whether it be through sermons or uh, spiritual formation, in which we can see Jesus encountering the discrimination against persons of different abilities within the gospel text. And his compassion and inclusivity and hospitality towards these people, and oftentimes standing against the, the systemic uh, discrimination that they experience. And we have to recognize that to have uh, a disability in first century Palestine was viewed as uh, the mark of a sin of your parents. Well, that's, that's, that's religious discrimination, societal discrimination, governmental discrimination. And so we have the, the theological and biblical foundation to address these things, but it's doing it in such a way that brings people along in the process that helps to uh, help them become more self-aware. And again, conversations like this, where we talk about the difference in language, the different way of talking about things, of not talking about somebody or describing somebody, but being more inclusive in your language, those simple things help people become more aware, um, and that, that then begins to spread it within your congregation where they're open to active practices that they can put into place. I, I'm still chuckling at the policies and procedures thing. There's a much better word um, for, for all that, but creating a healthier culture, um, uh, I think that, that starts there. A couple resources point you to here at, here at the end. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the appropriate terms and ways of talking about these matters, um, the National Center on Disability and Journalism has created its own style guide and provides the background on individual terms and recommendations for, for usage. And it's pretty comprehensive but easily ac accessible uh, guide to use. I mentioned LaTanya Penny earlier. Um, we did a podcast interview with her yesterday on the podcast stage. Um, she also did a workshop that should be available um, later on. But you can also visit her church website, Belonging Fellowship. And um, on that page, there's a tab for Mary's Grace, which is a separate nonprofit um, that she runs that goes into congregations and actually does training with congregations um, around um, these matters. But Chrissy, what are the resources would you want to point uh, for congregational development in these conversations? Well, I just brought one book. Um, I read various books through the years. This is the best one I've ever read. Um, it's called Uniquely Human, A Different Way of Seeing Autism by Barry Prizant, who's a PhD. And I really love it because it goes, the whole premise of the book is 
celebrating the difference, seeing the difference, asking if someone's doing something differently, differently than you, why are they doing that? What are they trying to communicate with that type of behavior? Why are they doing it? Um, and so I just, as a parent and as a pediatric hospital chaplain, I love this book. I highly recommend it. I know you're doing a little bit of work on this too. So tell us a little, a little bit about bit. some. Yeah. So I'm in the process. I have a website, but it's not finished. If you go to christiesedwards.com, it's not complete yet, but I've been really enjoying um, going around to different groups, churches, schools, law firms, et cetera, and teaching empathy skills, um, which I think, again, this is about having those open conversations. And I think that it's easy to make an assumption that we know how to have those conversations, that we even know where to begin having them. And a lot of people want to. They want to sit with someone and walk beside people when they're having a tough time um, or when they're going through something, but they don't know how to do that. And so my hope is to help people learn those skills, to be more confident in having those kind of conversations and being with people. Um, and the inspiration in wanting to do anything like that is I want to make the world a more empathetic place for my son and all the people who are like him. I want to thank you all for coming and participating, those online. Um, we want to thank you for coming, participating in this dialogue today, as it's an important part of continuing to, to move forward in inclusivity. Um, and more importantly, I just want to say thank you to Christy um, for being such an extraordinary um, advocate um, and, and, and within CBF Life of helping us to, to think clearly and inclusively um, of, of persons that are neurodiverse and persons of all abilities. Thank you, Andy. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Have you ever wanted to study the life and teachings of Baptist ministers whose work in civil and human rights changed the world? Have you ever wanted to read and watch other speeches given by Dr. King? Are you concerned of the way King's life, teachings, and legacy are used by contemporary political and religious leaders? Are you a local pastor or church leader and want to take an evening course at a seminary? Apply today to audit the life and theology of Martin Luther King Jr. at Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, taught by Dr. Lewis Brogdon. Visit bsk.edu backslash mlk to learn more. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 